Well, good morning. I'm Carmen. It's good to be here with you today as we're in this final week of our Finding Your Way to a Better Life series. And today we're going to really dig into finding the key to an incredible life. What does that look like? What does the incredible life look like? And, And how do we access that? And I think a lot of us have ideas in our heads of what an incredible life is supposed to be. And then reality starts to happen. (laughs) And then we start to redefine what an incredible life really looks like. Incredible anything, really. Once reality starts to happen, we have this picture in our mind, then reality happens, and we start to kind of renegotiate what it is that we're really expecting out of life. If you've ever engaged in a project of any kind, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you start out and you're all excited because you have this idea in your head of this project that you're going to do, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be awesome, and then you start to engage in it, and what happens? Okay, well, it's going to be good now. It's, it's a little harder than I thought, and we're maybe not going to get all the way as good as I thought that we were going to get, but we'll, we'll get something good, and then you engage with it a little bit more, and you finally get to the point where you're like, okay, well, that's just good enough. <laughs> that's just going to have to do. If any of you have ever been on Pinterest and have attempted a project on Pinterest, you know precisely what I'm talking about, because you see these amazing images online of, that doesn't look hard, I can do that, that's going to be incredible, and then the reality happens, and you're like, oh my, I have a couple images here for you to take a look at, of the expectation on this one, the upper left-hand corner there, is the little, cute little Easter bunny bun, you know, you can put that on this, you just snip the little ears with the little scissors, it's going to be this amazing addition, and what you actually get are Spawn of Satan bunny rolls to put on your table. Another, another thing is this hedgehog cake. You're going to make this cute, adorable hedgehog cake. And then, yeah, somehow that's not, that's almost like nightmarish to me what actually happened on that one. Another one. Oh yeah, string art. What a fun little party idea. It doesn't look hard at all. You just wrap that string around there and yeah, that's how it turns out. Another one, crayon art. You know who needs to pay a lot of money for a lot of artwork to put on the wall? This is a great idea. You just put those things up there, melt it. Look how beautiful that is until you really try to do it. Nailed that. This one is one of my favorites. You're going to make the cute pancakes for your kids or your nieces or nephews. And what you actually serve to them is some mutant face that they will likely have nightmares about later. Origami. We do a lot of origami in our house, and yeah, the top picture of what you want it to be, the bottom picture of what actually happens in real life. Who doesn't like a good minion? (laughs) I don't think I need to say anything more about that particular picture. (laughs) And finally, the ever-elusive Christmas photo idea. You know, you get this great idea. You're going to have this great picture of your family. And doesn't that look adorable? You just get the lighting, your baby's on the sheet. And what you actually end up with is a face plant. (laughs) And there's your Christmas card for this year. But this happens to us, right? We get so excited about this idea of this is going to be incredible. And then we end up getting frustrated. Because all of a sudden we realize, you know what? It's not going to be what I expected that it would be. It's a little bit harder, it's a little harder to navigate, it's a little more difficult, and we start lowering the expectations until finally we're like, good enough. I don't have the time, I don't have the talent, I don't have the treasure to make this any better than what it is, so it's just going to have to be this, and this is what I'm going to settle for. And I wonder how many of us have felt that way about life. I have this idea of what it's going to be, and what it's supposed to look like, and this is the picture that I'm going after. 
And as life goes on and you feel like you're just not quite getting there, you're like, okay, well, it's, it's not going to be incredible, but it'll be good. And then you go on a little bit further and you start saying, I don't have the time, I don't have the talent, I don't have the treasure to make this any better. And you get to the point where you're just like, oh, good enough. This is just going to have to do. This is what I'm going to settle for. And then I turn to my Bible and I read something like this from 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 9, or 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. This is what the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I read that scripture and I realize, no, I don't think that God meant for us to settle. God's saying here, like, I've got this amazing life planned for you. Something good. You don't have to settle. Something more than you can even imagine. Your eyes can't see, your ears can't hear, your mind can't understand the the goodness of what I have planned for you. Scripture tells us that God didn't intend for us to just be like, ah, good enough. This is all that I'm going to be able to do. I don't have the time, talent, or treasure to make it any better. Scripture tells us that God intends something good for us. And it's more than just the day in and the day out routine. And I believe that the incredible life that God has for us is more even than than the big accomplishments or the goals that we're shooting for. I think that the incredible life does not equal what our culture wants to tell us is that the, the incredible life is this up and to the right trajectory. You know, like the, the, the bar line on the graph that says, oh, your life just needs to go up and to the right. That's the way that life is always going to go. And I don't think that's what God means here. It doesn't mean that you're going to have this picture-perfect life, that you look the right way and you have all the right stuff and you've achieved all the right things. But instead, I think God defines the incredible life as a life lived in an awareness of his presence. That even when the externals that happen around us are swirling and falling a little bit short of our expectations, when our circumstances are hard, that we can still be with God, even in those moments, and know this peace, and know this joy, and know this sense of fulfillment that leads us to this incredible life, even in the midst of circumstances that maybe feel a little like a lopsided minion. (laughs) And that's what we're talking about today, this incredible life that is only accessible through the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives. And I want that kind of incredible life. I hope that you do too, but that's what we're going to be looking at today. So an incredible life is available to those who, first of all, share in the secrets of God, who share in the secrets of of God. Now I want to read some more of this passage from 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm going to read the verses that surround that passage that I just read about no eye has seen, no ear has heard. And these are the, the verses that Paul pens in his letter to the Corinthians just before and just after that verse. He says this, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world and not the kind that appeals to the rulers of this world who are being brought to nothing. No, The wisdom we speak of is the secret wisdom of God, which was hidden in former times, though he made it for our benefit before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have never crucified our glorious Lord. So I want to stop there for just a second. 
So Paul is talking about this, the secret wisdom of God. So what does he mean by that when he talks about the secret wisdom? Well, I think we need to understand the context of where Paul is writing. He's writing to the Corinthians. And the culture of Corinth at that time had a very high value on wisdom, human wisdom. They were very um, almost obsessed with with logic and reason. It was a time in history where where they were just really celebrating the, the human mind and what we could learn and understand. And so in that culture, logic and debates and all of those things were a really big deal. And so if you, if you were able to have a lot of knowledge and wisdom that way, you were considered a, a pretty prestigious person in that culture. And what Paul wants them to understand is that there is a wisdom that is deeper than that. He's kind of appealing to that sense of, of desire that they had for wisdom and knowledge. And he's saying, you know what, all of that, it doesn't even compare to this secret wisdom that God has to offer you, this deeper wisdom that extends beyond what your mind can understand. And then that's when he says that verse that we read just a little bit ago. He's saying there's the secret wisdom of God that's beyond human understanding, a kind that no eye can see, no ear can hear, no mind can imagine. So that's the, the kind of wisdom that Paul is talking about here. He's saying you just can't even, there's this deeper wisdom that you're not going to be able to get. But, but if you finish the um, passage there then, He says, but we know these things because God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And his spirit searches out everything and shows us even God's deep secrets. No one can know what anyone else is really thinking except that person alone. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And God has actually given us a spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given So Paul's saying that God has given us his spirit so that we can know his secrets. We can know this this deeper wisdom, this wisdom that is beyond what human understanding can even begin to comprehend. And what he really is talking about here is this invitation that God gives us into this deeper intimacy, this relational wisdom, this deeper meaning of a relationship with God that allows us to know God in a way that that you can't just with your mind. It's this, this intimacy, relational wisdom, this shared secret that God is inviting us to have, inviting us to, to let him reveal that to us. If you've ever shared a secret with anyone, you kind of know what I'm talking about, a good secret. I know there's bad secrets, but if you've ever shared a good secret, you know what that means. Maybe you've shared a secret with someone that you have... Um, been planning a surprise party for someone and you've been working with someone else to, to keep it a secret to surprise that person and there's that kind of sense of camaraderie that you have as you work together and plan something good for someone else. Or maybe there's a shared secret that you've had with someone, like an inside joke that you and a friend, you just connect with each other and it wouldn't make sense to explain it to anyone else. No one else would be able to understand why that's funny to you, but you just look at that person and you start cracking up because there's this unspoken thing that passes between the two of you because of your relationship and your connection. It's a secret that you share together. Or maybe you share a particularly beautiful experience with someone. You watch a sunset together or the birth of a child together. And there's this bond that forms between two people in that moment because if you weren't there, you don't really understand. You can't really put into words the beauty of that moment. And there's this bond that happens because of these shared secrets, this this intimate moment that you share with someone else. And these are the secrets that Paul is talking about here. 
this kind of shared thing that you can't really put it into words, you can't really explain it or understand it, except for between the intimacy that happens between God and and the individual as he's revealing these secrets in a relational way, these relational secrets. And imagine a life where you got to share those kinds of secrets with God, those kind of intimate relational moments with God. Those moments that wouldn't make sense to anyone else. You couldn't explain it away, but you know that you and God had a connection in those moments. And you understood a little bit more about who he is, and you revealed a little bit more about who you are to him in a genuine and authentic way. And you had this shared experience. And we share this relationship with God through something that Christian tradition has always called spiritual disciplines. I'm not really a big fan of the word discipline, but that's what we've always called it, what history has always called it. But you could call them spiritual practices. And that's how we get this shared connection with God, through engaging in time spent together. That's what spiritual disciplines are. It's not to check off the right box or anything like that. It's just to create space in our lives so that we can have those moments with God that he can share secrets with us, share those intimate relational moments. And spiritual disciplines aren't to work the system to get what I want. They aren't devised so that I can earn some spiritual brownie points and get into God's good graces a little bit better. That's not what they are at all, but they're simply about a way to create space in our lives to build a relationship with God, that intimacy with God together. So often, I think we settle for something less than what God intended. And we settle for just trying to know stuff about God instead of really getting to know God. We fill our minds with information about God instead of a relationship with God. And then we wonder why we're left feeling kind of empty or dry or why God seems far away. And it's because we haven't had that shared relationship with him. We've just known stuff about him and nothing has really changed inside. Because knowing about someone is very different than having a relationship with them. I can know all about Billy Graham, for instance. I can read his books. I can listen to his sermons. I can respect and admire him. But I'm never going to have a relationship with Billy Graham because we don't have any shared experiences together. So I'm not going to know Billy Graham. I can know about him, but I'm not going to know him. There's never an inside joke that I'm going to share with him because I just know things about him. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Sometimes we settle for just knowing things about him instead of engaging in those shared experiences of just that time spent relating to God. But then that begs the question, so how do we have a relationship with God? How do we relate to God? Because God the Father, he's just so much not like us. Yes, we're made in his image, but oh my word, the God of the universe, so powerful and so holy, so pure. How how can I have a shared experience with someone like that? And God is the son. Well, Jesus isn't here in physical form anymore. His physical body has long since departed from this planet. So how do I have shared experiences with this God that is so big and beyond and this God whose physical body isn't present here anymore? How does that work? 
And the amazing thing is that God made a way for it to work, and he made a way through his Holy Spirit, a part of who God is in a way that our minds won't ever fully understand this thing called the Trinity, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, they're all three in one, and God sent that Spirit to live inside of us so that we can share in the secrets of God. That's what Paul is saying in this verse in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He's saying he's given us the spirit so we can share in this relationship. He's given us the spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. That's how we connect with God the Father. And I think we miss this concept so, much, so often because it's so huge, our minds can barely get, get our heads wrapped around it. It's almost too big for us to comprehend that God gave us his spirit. Not to just sit up there in heaven somewhere. You ever try to imagine what the Holy Spirit looks like? You get, at least I, get some kind of weird image of like, there's just kind of the mysterious like orb light thing that kind of exists in the throne next to God. And God's saying it's more than that. The Holy Spirit isn't just some elusive orb of light that exists somewhere in the universe. But God's saying, I sent my spirit to live inside of you. The dwelling place of God's spirit is inside me. You know, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he he was talking to his disciples and he actually told them in John 16, he told them, you know what? It is better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then the counselor will come, the spirit will come and will be in you. And so Jesus himself in the flesh is telling them, it is better for you that the spirit comes and lives in you than it is for me to live in the person, in the flesh, right next to you. That is amazing to me. It completely blows my mind that the Spirit of God himself is willing to live inside of me. And that that Spirit is the key to the incredible life. I had a moment a couple months ago where I got to kind of share an experience with God. As I sat one day feeling a little crusty, And I just got some quiet time with God, and he spoke something to me. He related to me in a new way. And I'd like to read you just a piece of my journal, a part of my journal from that day. And um, after we do that, I just want you to soak in and consider the fact that the Spirit of God is present here in this room, but inside of you, if you are a follower of Christ. I'm going to read this little piece of my journal. Hopefully it will connect to you in some way. And then our worship team is going to do a song. And I just want you to soak in that moment. So here's what God spoke to me that day. I felt a little frazzled and a little overwhelmed this morning. And to be honest, pretty crusty with my attitude too. Pretty much nurturing some self-betrayal and some good self-deception. I was checking my email, making my task list of things to do, and wondering how on earth I had fallen victim to all the demands that I, as the martyr, of course, have to take on. And suddenly it occurred to me that the house was quiet. My kids had left for school. My husband had left for a meeting. I was actually alone in a quiet house. Made me a little frustrated with myself that it took me so long to recognize that I actually had an opportunity for the quiet that I crave but I guess self-deception will do that to a girl. It's crazy cold outside today, but the sun is shining in our family room window, and I kneeled face down on the floor in that warm, sunny spot and simply tried to soak in the quiet. 
the way that God speaks in the moments that I least expect and least deserve, it never ceases to amaze me. As I stayed in that little haven of warmth, I began to sense the presence of God. Not just God the Father, not just God the Son, but God is the Spirit today. Today I marveled at the gift of the Spirit. I've often considered the gift of the Son. I've wondered at the humility that it took for God to become man, the sacrifice that it took for a God of power to inhabit a human body and to be willing to limit himself to the flesh of man, to live with man. But today, I wondered at the humility that it takes for the Spirit to choose to dwell in man. The sacrifice it takes for the powerful Spirit of God to choose up take choose to take up residence in the heart of man. Imagine, he doesn't just live in the throne room of God, sitting on his throne of crystals and creatures and flashes of light and power in the middle of a chorus of holy, holy, holy. He doesn't even just live around me in the brokenness of this world. He lives in me. A spirit of power like none other that chooses to restrict himself, to live in the mostly oblivious to his presence, me that he would be willing to constrain himself in that way is hardly intelligible. He confines himself to exist in the space that I give him in my heart. His love is so high and long and wide and deep that he is willing to take whatever corner of my life I relegate him to. And he waits patiently for me to invite him to something more. By rights, his presence in me should destroy me literally explode the frailty that is my body and my soul. Yet in gentleness and tenderness, he waits for me, long-suffering, patiently, in the rays of sunshine that spill on a family room floor. Who am I that you are mindful of me? I am undone. Lord, God is what our hearts long. 
Spirit, your presence is here. It is around us, and it is in us, and it is a gift. I teach, I pray that you would teach us how to be aware of that. Each and every moment of each and every day, to be aware of your presence around us, and even more importantly, in us. Teach us how to give you space in our lives so that we can know you, so that you can show us who you are, so that you can reveal the secrets of of who you are as God to us. We want to know you. We want the wisdom that comes from you. More than anything, we want that intimacy of relationship with you, that, that key to the incredible life that you promised It's more than we can begin to see or to hear or to understand. Show us how to live there, God. Thank you for being a God who lives with us and even more for being a God who lives in us. We love you. Amen. There's a sweetness that comes with the presence of God. And it is always here, (laughs) always in you. The only difference is how much do we pay attention to it. And I know for me, I've realized that the more that I have experienced it, the more I desire it, the more that I crave it. And only God can reveal the secrets of God to me. And I need the Holy Spirit to be the one to to tell me God's secret wisdom, to share those experiences with. And so I challenge you to do the same, to pay attention, to tune in, and to let it change you. An incredible life is available to those who also surrender to a new mindset incredible life to share in the secrets of God and to surrender to a new mindset. God gives us this amazing gift of his spirit, not just so that we can hope for some emotional high or so that we can be in with God, but he gives us the gift of his spirit so that we can be transformed, so that it can change us, something deep inside of us. We're not just looking for the holy fix as sweet as those moments are to spend in the presence of the, of the Spirit, if it, if it ends there, then we've missed it. We've missed a good chunk of this wisdom that God wants us to, to know and to understand. And this wisdom causes a transformation in the way that we think. You see, an incredible life is more than just living a moral life, just following the rules and the regulations. It's about radically changing the way that we think, the way that we operate, the way that we interact with the people around us so that we can become more and more like this presence of Jesus that lives inside of us. It's a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. And Paul continues this passage in 1 Corinthians 2, um, picking up again at verse 14. It says, but people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the spirit can understand what the spirit means. 
We who have the Spirit understand these things, but others can't understand us at all. How could they? For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who can give him counsel? But we can understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Underline that last phrase there. For we have the mind of Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ so that we can understand about who God is. We can understand the secrets about who he is. And we need the mind of Christ in order to understand that because otherwise it would make absolutely no sense. Think about the first time that you really tried to engage with the Bible. Maybe before you decided to follow Christ or you were just really starting to explore the claims of Christ on your own and you started looking at the Bible and you thought, it doesn't make any sense. There's so much in there that you're like, what on earth is that? Things like when Jesus says, if I give away more money, then I'll be more content. Doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to love my enemies? What is that all about? If someone hits me on the cheek, I'm supposed to turn the other one and let him do it again? If someone steals my coat, I'm supposed to give them my shirt too? I'm supposed to forgive people that have hurt me? It doesn't make any sense. All of these claims, you're like, it it makes no sense unless, unless you have the mind of Christ and then something, the secret wisdom of God that makes no sense to the world. That's what Paul's saying here. It doesn't make sense to other people. But once you start to get the mind of Christ, you start to understand, wait, there is something here that's beautiful and good. There is something here that makes some sense. God reveals that way of thinking to us through the mind of Christ. But here's the hard part. The hard part is that surrendering to that new mindset that begins to make it all make sense means I need to let go of the old one. I need to let go of that old mindset that has informed so much about the way that I've interacted with the world, that old mindset that kind of informed the way that I interacted with the people around me, that shaped my thinking over a long time. And letting go of that old mindset can be kind of hard sometimes, right? I love that in um, Galatians, another letter that Paul wrote, he says this in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm giving up that old mindset. So I live in my, in my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm getting rid of that old stuff. But what really does he mean there? Because Paul didn't literally hang on the cross with Christ, right? When he's saying I've been crucified with Christ, what does he mean there? He means my old way of thinking. I've surrendered that old way of thinking to a new way of operating. And let's think that through for a little bit more. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, when God tells us we've been crucified with Christ, it's not a literal nail to a cross, and yet there's a piece of that that is probably a little more literal than we've given it credit for in the past. Because remember that that spirit of God lives inside of us, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is also God the Father, that is also God the Son, all three are one. And so when Jesus hung on that cross, who was there with him? The Holy Spirit. 
And so when that spirit lives inside of me, he is also the one who was crucified on that cross in a way of speaking. And so when I say that I've been crucified with Christ, there's, there's a part of that that is, that is almost, almost literal because the spirit of God, I personally, my physical body, know, but that spirit of God that lives inside of me that informs the way that I think, yes, that spirit of God was crucified with Christ, laid down his life for me, and then was resurrected so that now I can have a whole new mindset, a whole new way of thinking and being. My mindset, my old mindset was crucified with Christ, and now I don't live. But the spirit, the resurrected spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I know that's a little like, yeah, inside of there. It takes a little bit to follow that train of thought. But it means that the old has gone and the new has come. But here's my problem. I like the old stuff. Sometimes I don't like to let go of the old stuff. I have things in my house that sometimes I don't like to get rid of. I have these pans that I've had for a really long time. Now, I don't know if you can fully, you hear it's even popping right now. I don't know if you can fully appreciate these from where you are, but this one is old and rusted and dented. It is cheap and it burns things because it's not, it's made of cheap metal. It doesn't do a good job. This one, on the other hand, is a Pampered Chef baking stone, which has a pretty good reputation, but you can see it's kind of been through it. And what you probably can't see is that there's a big crack on this corner that at any given time, next time I use it, it will probably just break off. So I'm not planning to use it again, actually, but it'll probably just break off this corner. But I keep these things and I hang on to them, and I have some kind of very strange emotional attachment to them that I can't really understand, other than, you know what, I got this pan right after Scott and I got married, and we got our first apartment together, and this pan's been with me for a long time, so I feel a little attached to it, and, well, you know, this one, it's been around with me as well, and you never know when you might need one of these pans. A girl sometimes needs an 8x8 or a 9x9 square baking pan, right? And so I hesitate to get rid of them. But here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that about four weeks ago, I got a new set of baking dishes. New set. Beautiful ceramic set. The kind that go from the freezer to the oven to the microwave to the dishwasher without breaking. They look pretty. It's a nice set. It even has the little lids that you can clip on the top of them. And it has the little container things that you can carry them around even when they're hot. It is a nice set of dishes. But guess what? That set of dishes has been sitting on my counter for probably a good four weeks now, not being used. Why? Because I have this ridiculous attachment to these old ones, and I have not gotten rid of the old things in order to make room for the new things. How ridiculous is that? It's stupid, right? It makes no sense. And yet we do this all the time. We do this with our old mindset. We have this old, rusted, cracked, stained way of thinking. And yet for some reason, we have this emotional attachment to it that says, I don't know if I can get rid of that. What if I need that self-protection mode someday? Kind of attached to that. What if I need that desire to control and to hang on to stuff? I don't know that I want to get rid of that. I know there's something new and better, but it's kind of hard for me to let go 
of the old stuff. But we can't hold on to the old stuff and make room for the new stuff at the same time. We need to learn how to let it go. If we're going to have a new mindset, if we're going to surrender to this, this new way of thinking so that the things of God can start to make more sense to us, so that God can reveal pieces of who he is to us and ways that he thinks to us, we need to be willing to let go of the old, worn-out thinking. And it's not easy, but it is the way to the incredible life. And that process of surrender is usually not a one-time thing. Like, I am going to go home today, and I promise you, I'm going to go home and I'm going to throw these things in the trash today. I will be done with them, and they will be no more. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you for that affirmation. I appreciate that. Yes, I will throw these away today, and I wish I could do the same for my mindset. But the truth is, usually when it comes to our mindset, it's a daily surrender. To wake up each day and say, God, you know what? I'm giving this to you today. This way of thinking, Holy Spirit, I want you to inform a new way of, of, of thinking in my mind today. I'm giving this one to you. And he does it day by day. And then we're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to want to take those old pieces back. But day by day, surrender by surrender, more and more space is made for that new way of thinking. And I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that I've got this thing beaten. I figured out how to do this. I'm just throwing pans out left and right. And unfortunately, that's just not true, but I am in the process. I am in the process of learning what it means to throw away those old pans. There's so many pans, I can't even count them all. But I'm on the journey and I'm learning how to throw, throw them away. I'm learning how to throw away my performance-driven identity that says my only worth and my only value comes through the things that I can do and the things that I can achieve and instead embrace the mindset that God loves me just for who I am. I'm learning how to throw away the old mindset, the old mentality that I need to chase after God like some desperate schoolgirl trying to win the attentions and the affections of a boy who's playing hard to get. And instead embrace the truth that God says, as much as you want to pursue me, I want to pursue you too. I am in pursuit of you. I'm learning how to throw away the old mindset that says I have to stay focused on my own junk and my own depravity and the own icky stuff inside of me. I need to stay focused there and instead embrace the truth that God says that I have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I am holy and blameless before God because of Christ in me. Slowly but surely, I'm throwing out pan by pan. And God is patient. He's patient. He is gentle. He is long-suffering. And one by one, together, we're going to get there. And as we engage in that process together, guess what? We're having those shared experiences together. <laughs> Things that maybe other people will never begin to understand about our relationship. But God and I share that. It's a secret that we share together. I know what he's thinking on that one. Because he's revealed it to me through that relationship that we have. It's a beautiful process. And I encourage you to consider starting that process as well. Just one pan by one pan.
pick one. Work on surrendering that one. Then pick the next one. And just do that together with God day by day. And I suspect that the more that you experience it, the more joy you will find, the more you will be excited to keep desiring it and going after it. And the beautiful thing is that the Spirit is inside of you, guiding you through that process. It's not something we need to chase. It's not something elusive. It's right there. Someone willing to help you through that process. Because you see, the incredible life, it's accessible to us today. Regardless of what is happening out there in our circumstances, that incredible life is waiting for us as we're able to focus in on what God is doing inside of us. And even when the storms are happening in the external circumstances, we can still come inside this relationship with God and know that we're going to be okay. And be filled with what God calls the fruit of his spirit, of Christ in me, from Galatians 5.22. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love and joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. They've surrendered those things there. And if we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that, my friends, is the incredible life. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we can know you. And yet I thank you at the same time that you are beyond human wisdom that you're a God who's not so small that we can figure out all of who you are. You're a God who's big enough to be God. And at the same time, you are a God who desires relationship with us. And so you, you reveal pieces of who you are to us. And I thank you for the way that you have made that way for us through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can understand a little bit of who you are, so that we can share in an intimate and beautiful relationship with you, the shared experiences that give us that intimacy that we so desire. I thank you, God, for that incredible life that you have prepared for us. And I pray that we would learn to embrace that life by surrendering to a new mindset. I pray that you show us how to throw out the old ways of thinking get rid of those things that, that don't serve us well anymore so that we can make room for the new way of thinking, the mind of Christ. And Father, change us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you today. Amen. I'd like to give you a moment right now to consider how God is asking you to respond to him today. If you could pull your response card out of your program guide, you can fill out your name and information on the front and on the back. There's a place for you to write your response to God. If you have another prayer request, you can write that down. But in the next few moments, I encourage you, encourage you to consider 
what God might be asking of you today. And I wonder if maybe for some of us, it's, you know what, this week I need to make some space to have a shared experience with God this week through some sort of spiritual practice. I need to make some space for some prayer or some time in God's word or some personal worship or some silence or some solitude just to make space in my life so that I can begin that shared relationship, that level of intimacy with God. Or maybe another way that God is asking you to respond is is to put on a new mindset and get rid of some of those old pans. And so if God's asking you to to throw out some old stuff, I encourage you in these next few moments just to consider that, maybe even write it down. This way of thinking just, it's old, it needs to go. But whatever it is, I encourage you to take these next few moments. Consider what God wants to say to you. And if you want to record it on that card, that would be great. We have a whole team of prayer partners who pray every week over each and every card, and we'd love to pray along with you for that. But take the next few moments. Just consider what God wants to speak to you this morning.